Listen to more episodes of this podcast earlier than everybody else and ad-free when you sign up for Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service that's audience-supported, featuring more than 130 top-tier educational creators focusing on making content for you and not for an algorithm. Sign up for Nebula by clicking on the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe to support the podcast and get more eye-opening content. This video is supported by Brilliant. At the time of this recording, the number of COVID deaths in the United States is 621,000 people. And that is a tragic number, there's no question about it. But do you know what's crazy? That's almost the exact same number of people that went missing in 2019. I'm not trying to start a new conspiracy theory here or anything, it's just I just ran across that number and that's really freaking high, isn't it? And according to this chart from the National Crime Information Center, we're actually on a downtrend. In fact, 2020 was the lowest in 30 years, obviously, because nobody left their house. But look at 1997. Nearly 1 million people went missing that year. A million people in 1997 equates to 0.2% of the entire U.S. population. Just... <laughs> Am I the only person that thinks that's bonkers? <sighs> like, was there some kind of mini-rapture in the 90s or something? The point is, the number of people that go missing every year is shocking. At least it was to me. But you know what might be more shocking than somebody disappearing? Somebody appearing, seemingly out of nowhere. But that seems to be exactly the case regarding a mysterious man who went by the name of Peter Bergman. In June 2009, Brian Kinsella was training for a triathlon. That's a swim followed by a bike ride, followed by a run, followed by days of debilitating pain and crying if I were to try to do it. Triathletes are absolute savages. Anyway, in the morning of June 16th, this particular savage was training in the waters off of Ross's Point in County Sligo, Ireland, while his dad was walking back and forth on the beach behind him. Which, at least that was their plan. His training got cut short that day. Because right after he got into the water, his father, Arthur, saw something through the fog. Uh, it looked like a mannequin, maybe, that somebody had left at the rocks at the back of the beach. A, a prank, maybe, that some kids were playing. But as the fog lifted, he got a better look. And, of course, it was not a mannequin. It was a human body. Now, I know that sounds like the opening to a Law & Order episode, but it did actually happen, and I'm sure it was a deeply unsettling moment for both of them. Either way, they had no idea that what they had just stumbled on was going to set in motion one of the greatest internet mysteries of all time. Arthur described the man as marble cold. He was tall, thin, Caucasian with gray hair, no visible blood or sign of injury, lying face down in a patch of sand that had recently been covered by the tide. Arthur and Brian took a moment to pray over the body before they called the police, which is called the Guard Eye in Ireland. And around 6.45 a.m., Sergeant Terry McMahon from the Sligo Garda station arrived at the scene. First thing that he noticed was that there were no footprints around the body except for those of the Kinsellas. It looked like somebody had drowned out at sea and then been washed back in by the tide. Many reports would later claim that the body was naked, but that's inaccurate. He was actually wearing a navy blue t-shirt and black brief-style underwear. His shirt was tucked into the underwear and also, as it was later discovered, into a pair of blue, black, and purple striped swim briefs worn inside the underwear. But no pants. Oh, and a quartz waterproof watch. The rest of his clothes were found on a nearby rock. A black leather jacket, navy chinos, and a black sleeveless vest, all folded neatly in a pile. Beside them were a pair of black shoes, dark socks, and a black leather belt. What was missing was a wallet, or a passport, or any kind of identification. Assuming that it was just a local man who drowned out at sea, Sergeant McMahon uh, covered the body and basically just waited for a family member to come and look for them. But uh, that never happened. 
And as they waited, they started to notice some particularly weird things about this situation. Not only did he not have a wallet or any kind of identification, but all the tags had been torn out of the clothes. It was quickly becoming apparent that this was not just some local guy who went for a swim. This was somebody who went to great lengths to hide his identity, and he did such a good job of it that to this very day, we have no idea who this person was or where he came from. But this is what we do know. Four days earlier on June 12th at 6.52 p.m., a man checked into the Sligo City Hotel under the name Peter Bergman. He paid in cash for three nights at the hotel, 65 euro per night. He had come by bus from Derry, Northern Ireland. Security cameras show him boarding the bus in Derry at 4 p.m. and exiting in Sligo at 6.28. What they don't seem to show is how he got to Derry, or anything about his life before that point. For all intents and purposes, before that moment when he stepped onto a bus in Derry, Peter Bergman did not exist. But wherever his journey began, it ended in Sligo. Sligo is a small town of about 20,000 people, known mostly for its shops. The surrounding county is known mostly for its scenery and for being a favorite subject of Nobel Prize winning poet William Butler Yeats. Yeats spent his summers in Sligo County reveling in the stories of the old sea captains and pilots who kept watch from the watchtowers along the coast. Shipwrecks were common, and Yeats once said that Ross's Point was the most haunted place in the world. In fact, an area right next to where Peter Bergman was found is called Dead Man's Point, because according to legend, a sailor was once buried there. That's probably just a coincidence. But Peter Bergman, whoever he was, was very intentional about going to Sligo. Maybe it was the landscape or the history that seemed fitting to him. Maybe he was a Yates fan. But for three days, he walked the streets of Sligo Town, taking in the sights and the sounds, reading the Yates poetry etched across the walls. On Saturday afternoon, security cameras captured him picking up a, a certain quantity of international stamps. It's not known exactly how many stamps that he bought, and it was never seen him actually mailing anything out to anybody, but this was a weird little clue that's never really been solved. On Sunday, he asked a minibus driver about a place to swim, and he pointed out a specific place on a map that he was interested in, but the driver told him that's actually better for surfing, and that Ross's Point would be a better spot to go swimming. So they took a quick drive out there, and according to the driver, uh, the man just got out of the car, kind of took a quick look around, and then got back inside. He asked the driver to drop him off at the bus station instead of the hotel, and then the driver gave him a card and told him if he ever needed to get another ride somewhere to give him a call. On the next day, Monday, June 15th, the man checked out of his hotel. He went to the bus station, probably on foot, and had a cappuccino and a sandwich. In one interesting moment captured on the security cameras, he wrote something down on a slip of paper and then spent a few minutes reading it before tearing up the paper and throwing it away. And at 2.40 in the afternoon, he took the bus to Ross's Point Beach. He was wearing the black leather jacket and navy chinos, which kind of made him stand out on the beach amongst all the other beachgoers. Many reported seeing him wading back and forth across the beach with his cuffs rolled up of his pants, holding his shoes in his hand. Nobody who saw him thought that he was there for a swim or was ever going to get in the water, though they found it odd that he was there all afternoon, just walking back and forth. In fact, he was spotted by a witness at 11.50 p.m., still walking back and forth on the beach in the moonlight as the tide started to roll in. And that person was the last person to see him alive. The next day, after the body was removed by the undertakers, they quickly were able to trace him back to the Sligo City Hotel, which is where the name Peter Bergman was first discovered. No one on the hotel staff had asked him for ID, which was actually law, so they weren't really complying with the law there. But he did list his home address as Einstetterson 15 Vine 4472. Vine is Austrian for Vienna, and uh, they did claim that he had an Austrian or maybe German accent. Unfortunately, nobody named Peter Bergman that fit that description was ever found from Vienna. 
Uh, and in fact, even more telling, the postcodes in Vienna stop at 1901. They don't go to 4472, like he put in his address book. That was a total fabrication. And actually, the street name was fake, too. Now, is this proof that he was from Vienna and made up a fake number in order to throw people off? Or is it proof that he wasn't from Vienna and just made up a number and he had no idea that that was wrong? Either way, it was a fake address and clearly a fake name. So that plus the missing ID plus the missing tags from his clothes were all signs of just, you know, how much this guy wanted to protect his identity. But it was only after they dug into the security cameras around Sligo that the investigators realized how far out of his way he was going to protect it. Over those three days that he roamed the streets of Sligo, the man left the hotel 13 times. And every time he left carrying an unlabeled purple plastic bag filled with items. And every time he returned to the hotel, he wasn't carrying the bag. Some think these were multiple bags that he was getting rid of. Others think it was the same bag, but maybe folded up in his pocket when he returned. Either way, he was returning with less than he left the hotel with, which is kind of the opposite of what most people do on their vacations. It seems that he was using these trips around town as a way of disposing of his personal belongings. Where it gets really weird though, is that with all of the security cameras around Sligo capturing him walking all over town, none of them captured him throwing anything away. He managed to find bins that were outside the line of sight of security cameras. It's almost like he knew how to avoid them. An extensive search of trash bins and disposal sites around town turned up nothing that could be tied back to this man. And interviews that investigators did with shopkeepers and bin men were similarly disappointing. And because of this, many people, including Sergeant Terry McMahon, believe that maybe this man had some kind of law enforcement background or military background, some kind of special training that would give him a leg up on doing something like this. Now this theory didn't open up any new leads to his identity or anything, but it did open up some really interesting questions like, could this guy have been a spy? Was he getting rid of all of his personal items to try to start his new life to escape from something? Did some person from that life that he was trying to escape come back to, to find him? Is that what happened to him? They still hadn't fully ruled out foul play. It was only after his autopsy that the motivations for his actions became tragically clear. The autopsy was conducted by Dr. Clive Kilgallen of the Sligo University Hospital, and what it revealed was that he had prostate cancer very, very advanced prostate cancer that had gotten into his lungs and his bones. In fact, he probably only had weeks to live. And he was probably in considerable pain, even though no pain medication was found in his system, even though he had aspirin in his pocket, uh, none of that was in his system. Neither was any kind of cancer treatment in his system. This, this cancer was going completely untreated. For all the mysteries of this story, one thing that everybody seems to have settled on is that this man came to Sligo to end his life. He had a terminal illness and he wanted to go out on his own terms. So he found a beautiful seaside town to spend his final days in a, in a beach where he could go out at night in high tides, swim out into the ocean and let the tide just wash him out to sea. Whatever his reasons, he did everything he could possibly do to completely just disappear from the world. Like so many other countless number of missing persons every year. Except something went wrong. Instead of being washed out to sea, the sea just washed him right back where he started. And the reason might be found in one last surprise that they found in the autopsy. According to the doctor, he didn't actually show any signs of drowning. No frothing at the mouth, no tissue damage in the lungs. He didn't actually drown. In fact, the coroner's report listed the cause of death as acute cardiac arrest. He actually died of a heart attack. 
Now, it may be possible that he took a type of poison that stopped his heart, even though no poison was found in his system. They didn't search for every poison known to man, so it is a possibility. What it seems to have happened, as if the story couldn't get any weirder, is that he went out there to drown himself, but instead died of a freak heart attack. Now, you know, his body was clearly in a weakened state and maybe uh, the shock from hitting the water might have caused something like that to happen. Maybe he was in such emotional distress in that moment that his heart gave out on him, but still just, <laughs> wow. The man we now know as Peter Bergman rests in an unmarked grave in the Sligo Cemetery. It was paid for by the Irish healthcare system. And Irish law forbids exhuming a body without cause, so unless a family member comes forward to reopen this case, that's probably not gonna happen. The Peter Bergman case is often listed alongside similar stories like the Somerton Man in Australia in 1948 and the Isdal Woman in Norway in 1970. Both have interesting parallels to this story and both also have been suspected of having mob or intelligence agency ties. But I think the one that might more closely resemble the Peter Bergman case is the Lyle Stevick case. Like Peter Bergman, Lyle Stevick was the fake name of a man who checked into a hotel in Amanda Park, Washington in September 2001, and then he tragically hanged himself. And he too left behind no ID or no clues of his identity, which sent investigators on a wild goose chase for nearly 20 years. The case was finally solved using DNA evidence in 2018, but the family of this man chose to not make his name publicly available, to keep his identity secret because that was clearly what he wanted, which does bring up a good question. The Peter Bergman case, like I said before, has become one of the most pervasive internet mysteries of all time. People all around the world have put forth some brain cells and some time to try to figure out this case, to figure out who this guy was. Tons of other videos have been made on this subject. Chances are you've seen one of them. But is this one of those, we were too busy thinking about whether or not we could, we didn't stop and ask if we should cases? The one thing that we do know about this man is that he did not want us to know anything about this man. He wanted to disappear. He wanted to be forgotten. And the only reason we're talking about him at all is because a freak heart attack randomly happened literally minutes before he was able to take himself out. I mean, I've gotta be honest, I feel a little uncomfortable even making this video. You know, I feel like I'm actively thwarting a dying man's final wish. Like seriously, the worst possible outcome for this guy is for some internet sleuth to determine his true identity. Do we have a right to be forgotten? This is actually an ongoing question in the age of the internet, especially amongst internet companies like Google and the Court of Justice of the European Union. The right to be forgotten is actually a component of the privacy rights that are enshrined in EU law. Online, the right to be forgotten means that if there's a picture of me out there wearing some glasses that I don't like, then I have the right to get that picture taken down. Now there are limits to what can be removed, but as of this law being passed, Google has actually uh, removed two million of the four million removal requests that it's received. Now, of course, there is the other side of this argument that removing information that you don't like from the internet is just a, a way of rewriting the past. And as George Orwell said in 1984, he who controls the past controls the future. That, of course, is a debate that's gonna rage for decades, but uh, as for Peter Bergman, or whoever he was, we don't really know what his motivations were. Maybe he was trying to escape something horrible that he did earlier in his life. Maybe he just wanted to spare his family and friends the pain of, of seeing him go through what he was going through. Maybe he was just a really private dude. Regardless, he faced a decision that we are all gonna have to face at some point in our lives. And his story causes us to maybe reflect on that a little bit. 
Let's just hope that the choices that we make and our wishes about them go more smoothly than his did. And before I wrap this up, I want to give a shout out to Rosita Bolin. She is a writer for the Irish Times who uh, was kind enough to respond to our emails about this and set us straight on some of the details around this case. She actually has a podcast called Atlantic. It's a three-part podcast that um, goes into way more detail than I have time for here. It's very well done. I highly recommend it. I'll put the link down in the description. I do want to say, though, I, I, I don't blame anybody for wanting to solve this case. There's just something about a mystery like this that just, just draws you in, makes you want to solve it. Of course, to solve mysteries like this requires strong powers of logic and deduction, and you can superpower your logic and deduction skills by taking the logic course on Brilliant. Brilliant's logic course is 37 interactive quizzes featuring 265 concepts and exercises covering everything from logic gates, truth tables, Venn diagrams, game algorithms, and combinatorics. And if, like me, you have no idea what combinatorics are, well, you're just gonna have to take the course and find out. And the logic course is just the beginning. They have four courses dealing with logic and deduction, including the Joy of Problem Solving course, Logic 2, Electric Boogaloo, and Knowledge and Uncertainty course, after which you'll be a deductive master on the level of Sherlock Holmes. What I like about Brilliant is that you learn by problem solving, which kind of hacks your brain's natural learning skills, so you can learn it in a way that makes sense to you, and then you can apply that to other areas of your life. Plus, you can do it on your mobile device and even offline, so you can take it with you wherever you go. And if you want to get a taste of what I'm talking about, they do have free daily brain teasers that you can do, and you can do the first section of any of their courses for free, so you can see what they're all about. But if you do sign up for the premium subscription that gives you access to all their courses, and you're one of the first 200 people to do so, you can get 20% off if you go to brilliant.org slash answerswithjoe. Links in the description. Big thanks to Brilliant for supporting this video and a huge shout out to the Answer Files on Patreon that are helping to support this channel, forming an awesome community, and uh, just, just being great people. I got some new names to murder this week. We've got Sincerity, which is a great name, uh, TJ Holloway Chuck, Sean Tyson, Levi Schroer, Scott Vrabel, uh, Hetu Nandu, Lanthern Scott, uh, Nathan, Michael Noe, Xander Luke, Daniel Ermagren, uh, Kimberly Patakic, <laughs> Ren Davis, uh, Darren Bostock, and Orrin Arnarson. Some of those I'm just gonna apologize for right now. There you go. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining. If you want to find out more about this, if you want to get early access to videos and behind the scenes stuff, maybe some outtakes, exclusive live streams, all that kind of stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash answers with Joe. All right, please like and share this video if you liked it. And if this is your first time here, you might want to check out this video here. Google thinks you might like that one uh, or any of the others down here on the side that have my face on them. And if you enjoy them, I do invite you to subscribe. I'll come back with videos every Monday. All right, that's it for now. You guys, thanks so much for watching. Now go out there and have an eye-opening rest of the week. Stay safe, and I'll see you next Monday. Love you guys. Take care.